Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody. This is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. Episode 32. Called Escaping the TTI. Kena's Story. So I ended up meeting Miss Kena off of Facebook at random. She came out of left field on me and didn't know anything about her, didn't know anything about her story. She reached out to me and she said, hey, look, I was at New Bethany in the late 70s. And I was on, I was one out of only three people that ended up escaping from that place. And as we talked and everything, she told me her story which, yeah, I'm just, uh, I know I put trigger warnings in my episodes and everything like that, but it's a very heavy story. So when you get to the interview portion, just know that it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be very triggering for some people. Um, there's incest involved. There's abuse. There's all kinds of things involved with a story. The most unique thing I found about the interview was toward the end where she talked about forgiving her abusers. And so I hope that you listen all the way through. And I hope that you get to learn something from somebody. The thing I found out about the TTI, you know, for 35 years of my life, I didn't know anything about this, the troubled teen industry. Didn't know it existed. I didn't know there was problems out of it. I always heard of like camps and ranches and things like that that you sent kids to that were in bad situations, whether it was behavior problems or they were abused or drugs or something of that sort of nature. And it wasn't until I got on TikTok that I found out there was a whole different world of trauma that came out of that troubled teen industry. And so for people that never been to any of these places, a lot of us just don't know or are just oblivious to it. So here's one of the you know, one of the stories that came out of that. And I hope you find 
the information from it informative. And if you have a child or have sent a child to one of these places, you definitely need to have a conversation with them. Ask them if anything happened to them at all. And just know that it's a lot of trauma for these individuals. And it's a lot of bad experiences. Some of these are faith-based places. Some of these are, you know, they had, New Bethany was horrible for um, one thing, for just abusing girls there. And then on top of it, they were also abusing uh, boys that got sent there because it was also a gay conversion therapy place. And that's a whole nother episode and a whole nother set of stories off of that. Just heinous stuff. I know that in the 80s, the guy who was running it, he got shut down, I think, by the Department of uh, Child Welfare Services for uh, molesting and abusing kids as well as, uh, I think he had also had child pornography, if I'm not mistaken. It got reopened again, and the people that were running these places came from the Lester Roloff Ministries. And if you don't know who Lester Roloff is, that was part of Sabrina Young's story as well. He ran a, I think it was called the Fundamental Baptist uh, Organization, or F, I think it was uh, FBC or something, Fundamental Baptist Church Organizations. He, in my eyes, in my opinion, very sadistic to how they were treating these young women in these places. And so Kena is still in, on her journey of trying to unblock the trauma response that she has. There is points in, in, her, in her life that she had to block them out to survive, not only mentally, but just for her own sake, physically as well during that time. So there's, there's gaps in her story as far as what she can remember. And she's constantly in a state of unblocking and unlocking those, those memories but this is her story. And this is what she told me. Thank you. Hey, Miss Kena. Yes, I'm here. All right. Well, hey, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we'll uh, we'll go into the interview. Okie dokie. My name is Kena Tanner Pincus. Uh, I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, in 1962. I have uh, two older siblings brothers and my parents were very young but at the time by the age of 19 they were divorced with three children so the children were spread out and so I was parents and I was about five weeks old when I started living there with them and around the age of nine or ten um my birth mom came and took me back she had remarried and so I was there with the two elder brothers we'll call them brother number one and brother number two and uh so when I went to live with her it was you know very it's devastating to take a child away from a home that they know for 10 years and you know throw them into a situation of a family they don't really know. So, um, brother number one, um, I was 
molested quite a bit and uh, there was penetration and um, I was a very, I was an innocent kid. I was a great kid. Um, straight A's in conduct, you know, BC report cards. And yeah. then when I went to live there with her and the two brothers, so brother, what number one would, there would be molestation um, all throughout the day. There was never a safe place. And at night would become penetration. So I did, needless to say, I did a lot of running around. I mean, running away. Um, yeah. And then when he went to college, then I felt, you know, safer. But when he came home, so at the age of 14, I became pregnant with brother number one's child. And I was sent to New Bethany Home for Girls in Arcadia, Louisiana. Um, I was there so far. My timeline goes back to August of 1977. And then I ran away from New Bethany um, March 23rd of 1977. And there were only three girls that ran and made it in three decades. And they knew two girls ran together, and they knew one girl ran by themselves. And I was the girl that ran with another girl together. Her name was Dottie. Um, but as I got older, and I guess really you just push it aside as I was raising children and, you know, had other distractions. So my first memory from New Bethany came, um, I commented to one of my grown children that I was in a boarding school and said the name New Bethany and he looked it up and he's like, mom, they have a, they have a support group. They have a group. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I joined the group and one day, you know, about every couple, three months I would go into the group and say, you know, my name is Kena Tanner Pincus. Um, I'm looking for Dottie or Shelly. Um, I ran and escaped. And so I wasn't, I wasn't getting very many replies because I also did not have my timeline. I just knew that I ran and I was thinking February or March of 78. Yeah. That's all I had. And so then um, one day I'm looking, going to post, and there's a picture, a group picture of me in front center. And I'm thinking, that's me. And it was, uh, yeah. it was a moment that you're just like, holy moly. I mean, that's me. That's me, yeah. right? And I go to my husband, look, that's me right there, right? He goes, yeah, that's you. And my high school sweetheart, my first husband, I go to him and I'm like, look, that's me in this picture. And he says, yes, it is, sweetheart. That's when your mother sent you away. 
so the picture came first then the next thing i started smelling vomit just out of the blue and i couldn't really understand you know like you're thinking dang that smell where's that coming from well a lot of that was trauma in my body coming out and remembering yeah and um so then i would go on the group and look at different things and one day i just said i long for the soul of the little girl that escaped with dotty and one of the girls that were there in the 90s reached out and said do you know the girl that ran with Dottie? And I said, yes, it's me. My name is Kena Tanner Pincus. And from that moment, just things started happening. You know, this yeah. one girl, we reached out and she asked me these little things. She says, do you scrub your baseboards with a toothbrush? And I said, yes. And she said, that's what they made you do at New Bethany. And then she said, "Do you, are you on your hands and knees when you're cleaning your floors? Yes. Well, that's from New Bethany. So there were these specific things that I did that were strong tales of the trauma that I had lived through. Yeah. And it was, it's been, it's been a roller coaster. Um, I went, let me think what year, probably, I bet it was about in 2011. In 2011, I had gotten a Lyme disease diagnosis and I had several bacterias. That was in 2009, excuse me. And then about 2011, um, I started having like these seizure looking things. They, they call it writhing where your voice is guttural and you can't complete a word or you wow. can't complete a, a sentence I would be like I, 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 I can't eh. it started like that oh, so wow. I had a nice little ambulance ride I was there in the hospital for four days still doing the the writhing um, and I believe they called it like aphasia the way it was affecting my brain yeah and so there was a, a neurosurgeon there um, and I'm so thankful to him. They ran every test imaginable in those four days. And he comes, comes to my room and he sits down and he tells my husband and I, we have checked everything. There's no tumors. There's no contusion of the brain. There's nothing. We've checked everything because I did the MRIs and then the crows in your head. And I was still having those 
writhing behaviors. It's like, it's like your body is, it's like a contortionist or something. And you just can't really control the movement. Yeah. And he said, you know, I think it's time to start looking at, um, dang, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. What's the word? <laughs> it's time. Okay, he said, it's time to start looking at, it wasn't emotional, it was... Psychological? Thank you very much. You're welcome. He said, I think it's time that we start looking psychological. Okay. And that opened doors, big time. And then a friend reached out and said, Kena, your Lyme disease, do you think that was when, you know, your mom sent you away to that place and... You ran and you spent two nights in the woods and and again that was a Pandora box. Boom, yeah. it opened. And so it's it's just unbelievable. I, I was a good kid. Um, yeah. and I was pregnant with brother number one's baby. I was fourteen and I was a virgin. So I know so it was his baby. What, uh, so you got sent there when you were pregnant then, right? Correct. You would, what happened to your, uh, to your child after you, after you got sent there? I don't know what happened to the baby. I, I have no idea. Were um, you able to carry the baby, baby to term or, or no? Do you remember? I have no memories of okay. that. I do have memories of being thrown on the ground now i was like 80 pounds right being thrown to the ground and being kicked it was at least four or five men um i was kicked and stomped in the head and stomped in the stomach my entire body i'm on the ground in the fetal position and i'm being stomped on and kicked was that when you first got there or was that because of a punishment or uh, do you well, remember why they, why they were beating on you? They did that to girls that were pregnant and they wanted them to lose the baby. God. And I am a big time child advocate. Um, yeah. And to know and, and to know or not know what happened to your child is a very difficult thing and it would have been my first child yeah and so i i'm really not sure about that but i do remember there were there was a time where i was held down on my back my arms were stretched out my legs were stretched out held down and there was gang rape by mac ford and the other men and look, I'm a 14 year virgin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was molested through every stage of development, but still in my mind, I was 14 and yeah. I was a child. Now, so when, who was, who was Mac Ford? Mac Ford was one of the, the preacher evangelist 
that was doing uh, working with Lester Roloff doing all of the sex trafficking and things like gotcha. that. Just like from Sabrina and, and Miss Barb's story and everything, which I haven't covered Miss Barb's story yet, but I have covered Sabrina's and she was over at the Lester Roloff Home for Girls at one time as well. Right. So this so, is New Bethany. Yeah, and there's so, and, and there's a connection. They're all connected to each other in some way, shape, or form. Lester Roloff and the televangelist, yeah. correct. And there were people being paid off, you know, the sheriff's department, the governors, the mayors. There was a lot of people being paid off. And yeah. I have to, you know, I've, I have to question myself as to how in the world did I go, get in a place to where no one has ever escaped and made it? Because I was there in the 70s. Yeah. And that was one of the really what I know now was the worst time to be there when yeah. I posted, you know, I was there this time. Does anyone remember me? Some girl that was there in the nineties answers and says, Oh my God, that's when they treated people the worst. Yeah. What, um, what was it like every day there for you being at that place? Um, my my memories are still coming, but I remember not being able to make eye contact. Um, and actually, before the eye contact thing, when when my birth mom Rosita arrived, you know, took me there with her married boyfriend. And I was in the car saying, I'm not staying, I'm not staying, I'm not staying. And then we pull in and I'm like, I'm not staying. And she says, we're just going to be looking at it. So I go in, we go in the first set of double doors, those heavy metal doors, bam. And then the next set opens up and this lady says, here, come let me show you around. The door shut and that's it. And I'm 14. She yeah. takes me to a room and I'm cavity searched. I'm a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. And I'm taking off my, you know, stripping my clothes and opening the orifices, you know, my genitals yeah. and anal. I'm a 14-year-old kid. Who does that? Some I've sick never people, had that though. kind of experience before. And right, it's so, very frightening. Yes, and it was it was foreign. And so then after that, I was assigned to a girl. Her name was Jennifer. And the way I understood it was the girls that had been there longer than six months became what they called watchers. And these watchers would have the girls be responsible for the girl for one girl that was new. Yeah. And so they would they're not supposed to allow you to talk about your past. If you talk about your past, you were in trouble. Um if you made eye contact, you were in trouble. If you cried, you were in trouble. Um I don't remember any of the beatings 
that hasn't really come up yet. Yeah. But I do just remember how how difficult, you know, you couldn't cry, you couldn't show emotions, you couldn't make eye contact. I mean, and it was like when we went to the bathroom, um, we were just given like three squares and the commodes were lined up to where there were center blocks in between them so while yeah. you're sitting down you can still see all the other girls yeah it was just like kind of, kind of like you could see their their head and their chest and that's about it huh right, right. yeah it was just like herding cattle sounds a lot like prison too yeah that's true yeah. they did have the bob wire on, on all wrapped around on the pants oh wow um and um and then I started remembering why I was constantly smelling vomit and some of the ways that I eat. And I always put just a little bit of food on my plate, one tablespoon of each thing, and I'll eat it. And I've been working on it. I go back for seconds. I put more food on my plate. But the reason why that behavior came up is that New Bethany, when they put the food on your plate, if you didn't eat it all and you threw up, your watcher had to make sure you ate your vomit. Yeah, it was called, a, I think, a second chance or a last chance meal or a redemption meal or something like that. It was something other places have, have, have different names for it, but that's what I've heard, what I've heard and found out so far, they'd call them something to that degree or an effect. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I never had a name for it. I knew yeah, that yeah, I did it. Yeah. yeah it, it was done at a lot of Lester Roloff, uh, inspired and ran places like that. Did they, uh, did they ever have like an isolation room there that you might remember? Not that I remember. Uh, Cause some of the places where, the girls that were really not getting keeping in line with a lot of the things, they'd be put into a uh, an isolation room where they would have Lester Roloff sermons played nonstop, twenty four seven while they were in there. Uh, some of them got their shower privileges taken away. Um, there were, you know, of course, whatever the, whatever they let the girls use to work to to wash and clean themselves with was some of the bare bones cheapest. Uh, shampoo and soap they could find and use i mean was that anything like what you experienced there did they ever take away your shower privileges or did they or, or that you can remember because i know a lot of it is blocked by trauma right um i do know i have a difficult time hearing when i'm in the shower the way the water drains and goes down in the drain mm -hmm. um and I remember some sort of uh, showers there at New Bethany, and it was just all, like, it was all center blocks. Yeah. And here recently, I have, I've had a memory of being in the water in, like, a, a horse trough, right, that you feed them in? Yeah. And being held underwater. Um, that's been very recent. That's Yeah. Uh, 
that memory hadn't even it, it's not even a week old wow <laughs> yeah so they're you know every day they're coming but um i do remember seeing the girls and again i, I was 14 yeah and they had these marks on their legs or on their buttocks or their backs and I thought they were stretch marks. I had no clue that they were from when they were being beaten and whipped and, um, you know, I was just that naive. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so you were, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, so you were there for a while. You were there from August to of seventy seven to March of of seventy eight. Yeah, I, I have mean, documentation before, that yeah. shows um, March. My my question is, uh, were were you and Dottie the first first ones out of out of the three to escape, or was or was the uh, other person escaped before you? We were the first to escape. Okay, and so here's my next here's my next question on that then um being in that place knowing that i'm pretty sure that they all talked about how nobody ever escaped from there what was it like trying to you know come up with a plan to escape with you and Dottie and everything like that and how'd that come about well my watcher's name was jennifer yeah and she was a favorite to somebody and then my watcher was Dottie. How was Jennifer, um, so how was Jennifer a favorite? What do you mean by that? They would ask her to do certain things that would get her out of a chore. Okay. And in my, in our room, I remember the, there were two set of bunk beds. And so one was Shelly on top, Jennifer on the bottom. And then, um, actually, that's not true. Yes. And then the other one was, um, I was under Shelly. And then, okay. So I just remember Shelly was on the top bunk and I yeah, was yeah, on the yeah. bottom bunk. And okay. we had these, uh, these little, like, I don't know, lock boxes or something that had our belong- belongings in. Yeah, like like foot lockers uh-huh. and things like that. Yes, and yeah. when I have a memory, I put I go out to the group and say, you know, why does this happen? You know, blah blah. So I reached out to the group and I said, I'm wondering, uh, I'm wanting to understand why, when I go out of town or I pack my bag and you know, everything's packed. But yet, every single day, I have to empty the bag and refold the clothes and put them back in there again. And a couple of girls piped up, and one mentioned that when we would go to church, they would come in and toss our room. They would throw all of our clothes all over the room, strip all the sheets, the mattresses were yanked off. Our rooms were just trashed. Yeah. So that plays into that constant behavior of the 
pulling out, folding, rearranging. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it was, it was that works. Yeah, I mean, it was just constant, constant spot checks. Make sure y'all don't have any contraband or any type of uh, probably weapons or, or any ways of trying to escape or tools or anything like that. Pretty much like prison. Yeah, that's how they would do it. Um, so when y'all were, so you said that Jennifer w- was a favorite and everything like that. How did that help play out into your escape, though? Well, I had talked about running so i must have really i must have really really trusted dotty i because i never mentioned it to jennifer yeah. but things that we were seeing which i still don't remember everything <laughs> but right. things that went on you know it wasn't good and I, I gained trust or was able to change Dottie's mind or something. Um, what we did, we talked about running away because there would be several times that Jennifer would tell Dottie, hey, watch Kina, I got to go do blah, blah. Yeah. And so uh, that's when I started talking about running and then we put up got a plan that um Dottie was going to be on laundry duty and it just it plays like a picture in my mind um it was this night because we would all gather for bible And so this particular night, or before we went to bed, Shelly wanted to come, but she was afraid if we didn't make it. And then I said, okay, look, let's do this. Tonight, we're going to all three pray that if it's, in God's will for us to escape, give us a sign. And we said, amen, and that was it. So the next morning we get up, we're doing our chores, and Jennifer comes up to Dottie and says, watch Kena for me, I've got to do such and such and we were getting ready for prayer group and Dottie Dottie had laundry duty so Dottie and I we carried the baskets out it was you know like a separate little house and we were putting on double pairs of knee socks um, because you always wore dresses and then we had our little shirts on and then we had a And a couple of the girls asked, you know, why are y'all dressed like that? And Dottie said, well, we're out doing the laundry. It's cold out there. And and she said, oh. So then no one asked anything else. We told Shelly goodbye. She had tears in her eyes. 
She was from New York, I believe. Yeah. And then Dottie was from Mississippi. So then Dottie and I went out there and we had to bring one load of baskets back in. And then, you know, we went back out and we looked at each other and we said, here we go. And it was dusk. It wasn't quite dark. It was dusk. And so we run as fast as we can through a, a pasture and the bob wire fence so we had to you know go under the fence yeah and then there was the road and we just started running as fast as we could all the way down the road so then it's dark and i tell Dottie, hey we need to be in the thicket we got to get off the road so we went in the thicket and a little while later, you know, we're still traveling in the thickets of the woods. And at some point, we must have changed parishes because Arcadia, their parish, and then Menden Parish is different. So at you some mean, point, we changed. Like one Bienville Parish, I think. And then there's another parish. But that's the, you know, that helped too. So, so, the- so when you talk about they change, I mean like the roads, how they change? Because I know in certain parishes, they'll have nice smooth roads and you'll end up being on some pretty shitty roads uh, when you go to the, the next parish over. You mean like change like that or yeah. like, okay, okay. Now at that time though, we weren't looking for the roads and we wasn't right. thinking changing parishes. Yeah. But. So then we hear two pickup trucks rattling down the road. We hear the tailgates open. We hear, we're going to find you. We're going to beat the fuck out of you. You're going to regret it. And then gunfire over our head. And I look over at Dottie as they're jumping out of the trucks, you know. And I look over at Dottie and I said, Dottie, Squat right here under this bush. Hide your skin. Hide your face. Don't say one word. I'm going to be right next to you. You're going to see me. So I got in the bush that was next to her. We made brief eye contact. And then we hid. And so they're still yelling. We're going to find you. We're going to beat the fuck out of you. More gunfire over our heads. And then this guy, to this day, his steel-toed boot was two feet from where I was hiding. I saw the steel-toed boot, and they didn't find me. They did not find me. So we stayed hidden like that until the trucks left. And it seemed like an eternity. Yeah. And then we would run back to the road. You know, you don't hear anything. Those rural roads, you you hear everything. Yeah. We didn't hear any vehicle. And at this one point when we ran to get back on the road, 
So there was a barbed wire fence, you know, the three, the three. Well, yeah, lines barbed of barbed wire. Right? Yeah, yeah. If I've seen those a lot, 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 all my life. Yeah, I know, what you, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, we started running because we were running back to the road. And Dottie ran into one of those. I mean, it was, it was hidden with all the yeah. woods in the thicket. And so she ended up with a scar that started at the top. I want to say it was on the right hand side of her nose, so at the bridge of her nose, and it went all the way down beside her nose, all the way down, and ended at the top of her lip. So wow. we looked at it a minute, we hugged, and then back in the woods we went. And as far as my memory, we were walking through the woods for two nights. And we slept. I, at some point, we fell asleep. Um, I, I will. I, we. I know we were close together. And I remember. And again, this has just been in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I remember opening my eyes, and the daylight is just now. You know, the sun is just rising. And yeah. you see all the woods, and there were birds that were, you know, chirping, cawking. They were crows. Yeah. And I want to say that we went back to sleep because we could only go through darkness. Yeah. So then we made it to the interstate, and I had told Dottie that I have friends that will hide us out. Because my fr I had friends and their parents would hide me out because my home life was so terrible. Yeah. And what, uh, what, what city were you in that you were hiding out in? Because I know you say you went, made to interstate, and I know the only interstate above North Louisiana is over there, I-20. Yep, we were there. Yeah. We saw, we saw I-20, and we saw um, Minden. 60 yeah. miles. Yeah. Okay. So there was a levee. Mm -hmm. And we're reaching up. We're going up the levee to get on the interstate, you know, thumb it back. And a sheriff car comes. And he's like driving like he's going to run over us. And then a second sheriff car came. And he was doing the same thing. And Dottie and I were running. And if I would run to the right, Dottie would go to the right. If I yeah. would go to the left, Dottie would be hanging on me going to the left. And finally I stopped. And I looked that precious friend in the eye and I said, Dottie, look, we have to separate. If you make it, you let somebody know about us. And if I make it, I'll let people know about us. And so there we were running on that levee back and forth. And the sheriff got out of his car and he said, I know where you've been. I know where you're from. Please trust me. And come with me. We know where you're from. And we're going to help you. 
So we just got in the car with them and they took us to the sheriff's department. And the way it was set up is like when you walk in, you know, the the rooms or the different offices, you know, was all glass. Yeah, so, yeah the interrogation rooms and stuff like that. I guess maybe yeah. interrogation, I guess you would say. But, you or know, conference in, room, yeah. In the mind of a child, you know, right. you could see people sitting in all those little offices. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got what you're saying. And so they said, looked at me and they said, you're the ringleader. And the other one says, yeah, because every time she moved, the other girl would move. And then Dottie and I were just sitting there. And then they said, how long have you been there? And I think I said a year. And then Dottie, for some reason in my mind, it was like Dottie had been there 10 years or something. But I don't know how old she was. The math doesn't really work out. Yeah, She had been there for years so they split us up when they found out you know how long Dottie had been there they took her to off to another room and then I was in one room and the guy says to me did you ever see anyone beaten have you been beaten was anyone tied up somewhere beaten and I said no, but I do. I did see a lot of girls that had stretch marks across their butts and some on their backs and legs. So there I was. I mean, I'm I, I'm a kid. I'm 14, and I yeah. think that those scars from being beaten are stretch marks. That tells so much about the innocence of the child that I was, even though I was in such horrific things that went on at home. And I would do anything in the world that I could possibly do to find Dottie. And just hug her neck and just know she's okay. Because I had her information, her paper, where her address and everything. And I had Shelly's name and address. And somehow when I got returned to Rosita at home, she did something with it. I think she still has it. I remember being on the back porch and she was doing laundry and it was like in a pocket protector thing. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, the things at home, not being fed, locked in the garage, locked on the back porch. I don't know if my brother did it or how, but I do remember that's kind of been coming up. But yeah, you mean, you mean you mean like brother number two doing that to you? I think probably brother number one. Okay. The one that was, you know, yeah. physically abusive. Yeah. I think I I think it was him. 
but um you know and then you had rosita that allowed it you know but sometimes i look at the two parallels of the home life with their you know with the two boys and then now brother number two he he never did anything okay but it did, was brother number one that did. Did uh did brother number two know what was happening with brother you and brother number, number one? Brother number two, I I can remember two times that he walked in when brother number one was doing something, feeling you know feeling me, and he like encouraged brother number two. But brother number two never made eye contact and he left the room. Yeah. So it was, yeah. It, 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 it's a definite story for sure. Yeah. Um, what, um, what's happened to you, to your, to brother number one in life? I mean, obviously you're not, probably not on speaking terms with him, but I, I don't know. I'm just, out of curiosity um, I'm, we've been cordial when we've seen each other you know at funerals I, I go up you know how are you doing good to see you you know see you know I give a hug uh, and um, that's about it but in 1994 I had a walk around the block it was a, I had, I went home for a funeral, went to Shreveport for a funeral and, yeah. and, and asked Michael, brother number one, about taking a walk. And so I confronted him about several things and he tried to say, are you sure we weren't just playing doctor? No, we weren't. I was pimped out to his friend. Okay, so there was no playing yeah. doctor. And um, so all the things that he told me took me to the courthouse in the basement, you know, where you look up all the files. And I was able to, um, what do you call it, like disregard what he said. What he said, there was no proof. There, You know, right. the paperwork that I pulled about the times he said, the parents custody battle going to court all that kind of stuff no there wasn't any of that yeah in, in fact you know my my parent my dad and my birth mom they were they got their divorce in arkansas and michael was talking about how it was um a giant court battle and how one family turned against the other and you know this whole docudrama that never existed so yeah. i this letter, I should send it to you, actually. This letter is spot on, very direct of every single thing he did to me. I wasn't safe. I would be the one to get up at 530 in the morning and get my shower so that he would be sure to have hot water. And... Brother number two and I, you know, we weren't allowed to use certain shampoos or towels or it was crazy, crazy, crazy. 
but I wasn't able to sit and watch TV without being violated, um, take a shower, potty on the commode, brush my teeth, and then, you know, cooking. Yeah. It, it, and then at night was penetration. But I have it all documented because when I sent the letter, you know, talking to him straightforward, when we went on the walk around the block, you know, I just knew I had to research it. And then I wrote this letter. I sent it certified to he and his wife at the time. Yeah. And um, she signed for it. And I believe. I, be, I haven't found the disc, but I've been, you know, I've looked for it and checked, you know, the floppy disc when yeah. we had those. Um, and so I checked all through those. And but anyway, I had had a co I had three copies of the document and I had the certified slip, you know, in my files were with birth certificates, things like that. And um, I remember I mailed it to him and I copied Rosita on it and I'm yeah. thinking I I can't be 100% sure that I sent a copy to my dad or you know my dad's sister because they raised the boys were there brother number two you know, Joe he was there on that side of the family yeah but um, I'm strong. I persevered. I never lost my faith. I yeah. never lost my faith. And I know that a lot of it had to do with my grandmother. I would be a little girl out playing outside and they had these bricks that were lined up on the side of their garage and It'd be just a beautiful spring day, you know, yeah. and I would go out in the backyard and I heard her calling me and I came running 90 to nothing. Nanny, nanny, did you call me? And she'd say, no, I didn't call you. I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I didn't call you. So I went back out to play back to the bricks. And I hear her calling me. I come running 100 miles an hour. Little kid, I can still, you know, hear my little feet pitter-patter across the back porch and pitter-patter in the kitchen. I go up to her. Nanny, nanny, I heard you call me. She says, I didn't call you. And then she says, what were you doing? I said, I was climbing on the bricks. And she said, that was your guardian angel. She knows that you're not supposed to be on the bricks, so she's going to keep you safe. So my entire life has been a gut feeling, and I've got a guardian angel, and I never lost my faith. That's as good. horrific as it was. But my dad at one point was called, and I want to say I was 15 maybe 16 and um, when Rosita was getting ready to send me to a 
third place. Um, I called my dad and asked, told him I wanted to talk to him. And I didn't really know him that well. I mean, you can yeah. imagine 19 and three kids and divorced, you know. But I told him, you know, I wanted to come and talk to him. And so we said, okay, tomorrow would be fine. Because one of my close friends, I was at back at my grandmother's, you know, after New Bethany. And then there was a Ruston Methodist Children's Home, which was an amazing place. They were awesome. Yeah. But, um, she quite said, the opposite of New Beth. Quite the opposite of New Bethany, right? Oh yeah, there would be like yeah. eight of us, and we were in a house. We had a house mother. I mean, fabulous. Yeah. And so, um, my friend came to my grandmother's house, and she's like, "Keenan, I just talked to your grandmother, and your mother's getting ready to send you off again." Wow. So why was your mama trying to send you off again this time? Well, according to the documents that I received from Methodist Children's Home, um, she said that I was running with a bad crowd and smoking marijuana. And the funny thing is the crowd that I hung out with there at school, at Bird High School, was my brother Joe brother you know brother two two yeah Joe, i mean i hung out with him and his friends yeah but i think that there is from what i learned from the counselor there at, at Ruston, and and when you're only there for a two-week evaluation and when i mentioned that you know michael or our brother number one was doing things to me um, Rosita got pissed off and I don't know what she said but she left and left me there and yeah. that counselor Miss Pinckney said Kina is there anyone that you can go and live with she said you're not the one that needs the help your mother needs the help and so I don't know how I ended up you know who transported me but went back to my grandmothers and, and my aunt that raised me and my grandfather and my aunt came up to me and she said, Tina, I knew that your mom, that your mom sent you off to have the baby. Well, Hey, that opened the gate right there. Yeah. That I was pregnant with the baby and I was a virgin and, it was Michael's. How? So, it's I a mean, lot. Yeah, but, it's it's a lot of feelings. I mean, hell, I got I'm not even related to to him, and I got a lot of feelings toward him. I mean, um, how do you? So how do you deal? I mean, do you have hatred towards your brother for this? I mean, do you do you deal? If so, how, how have you dealt with it? You well, know, as, in, as the one, letter, my in the letter, I forgive him. But I pity him. Yeah. And that's how I look at it. You know, yeah, I yeah. forgive him, but I pity him, which means I don't want, I don't wish him anything bad. 
but I, I really pity him. That what made you? What, so what made you want to forgive him? I think that's a very important thing to to kind of discuss because there's so many people that that find it hard to forgive somebody that's you know raped them and 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 everything like that. And I think it'd be good to know what like what brought you to that side of it. To the realization that that dude he's sick and yeah. also who did that to them but he's sick you know rape and incest is against the law yeah and rosita should have done something about it but mainly so you, you know mainly he's sick um and yeah i forgive him for what he did because i'm moving on yeah and i don't want that type of thing hanging over my head of not being able to forgive him and hanging on to hang on to the hatred yes right Mm -hmm. Because hatred is is a poison, and when you drink it, it just it's it causes a thirst that can never be quenched. Yeah, I think forgiveness is important, but I'm that's not to say that if you're unable to forgive is a bad thing. Yeah, but you know everybody has their thing, and for me, it was where you know. I'll for I can forgive anyone. Yeah. For things. But at the same time, I pity you. Yeah. I pity you that you're this type of person. You you know, Miss Keen, I've you're very rare to find it's or it's very rare for me to find somebody that's actually have forgiven their rapist and everything like that. Um doing a lot of these stories, whether it's on this podcast or outside of the podcast, people I talk to, because it is a, it, it's such a deep wound, you know, it, it's a, you know, rape is such a horrible thing. And it, it takes more than just the sexual act alone. It's, it's a power thing. It's a dominance thing. It's a, you know, it, it takes away somebody's innocence. Right. It, it takes a lot of, I mean, it, and it's not to invalidate anybody else's experiences and everything. I mean, if somebody doesn't want to forgive somebody for, for raping them, I mean, you know, who am I to judge that? Who are anybody to judge that at all? I, I, I just, I just found it very unique that you forgave your brother for that. Um, some people can't, you know, and, and if it can help them, you know, if, if I can find, which I'm glad I found somebody that did because it can show that, there are there it, it it can happen you can find some forgiveness but what was it like when you forgave him like like what what did you feel like afterwards was it like a like a weight off your shoulders to forgive him was it just this burden that was on your soul i mean what what what, what can you just describe what the feelings might have been like during that time when you forgave him um that came in a letter after we had the conversation i've got the letter in front of me i'm kind of looking at it um yeah to forgive him, to say I forgive you, relieves, yes, it, it relieves the burden off of me. Yeah. And that's really, I wanted to be done with him. 
Right. However, funerals, gatherings, I'm civil. Because it's not worth my energy yeah. and my inner peace to be out, you know. Yeah. Do, now, when you're there at funerals and, and gatherings and things like that, did the scars of what he did to you, did they ever come up? Did they ever trigger you? Do they, does that trauma come back and, and you know, deal, de, de, uh, debilitate you? When I When I see him, say, at a funeral... It does. It comes back. But at the same time, I'm just a very nurturing person. And it just feels the right thing to do. Yeah. Is hello, give you a hug. It's been a long time. And then I I turn and walk away. Okay. Now, everybody's different, right? And so, um, you know, me, I'm very protective of my wife. If anybody's ever harmed my wife in any kind of way, I'm very, I'm violently protective of her. Like I'm, I'm willing to go rock an orange jumpsuit for my wife. Uh, So me saying that, how does your husband feel whenever y'all go to these gatherings and he sees your brother and everything? Does your, does your husband know about, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he does. Um, but does your husband yeah. know? And if he does, how, how does your how does your husband feel towards your brother about all this? I can't really speak for him. Yeah, but I do know that. Or me? Has he ever just, said anything? He's just yeah. A, um, yeah, he has. Especially you know, right now I'm I'm learning trauma and triggers, and it's coming up, and you know, um, he's just disgusted yeah just can't believe in the fact that rosita knew because you know i i reached a point not long ago you know it'd be nice to have my fbi interrogation paperwork to see exactly you know what went on i'm very documented um yeah what do you call it? Overload or, you know, I'm big on having, on keeping things documented. Yeah. What do you call that? A documentation I, person. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe an archiver might be the maybe. best way. I don't know. I, I, it'd be a first for me to, to find that out. I just but, think uh, that having documentation, legal documentation. Having the receipts as, as, as they call it now, as the young people call it, I got the receipts, you know? That's what oh, they, yeah, that. people that's call. Funny. Yeah, that's 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 been the new thing the last couple of years now. Um, but yeah, I was gonna... my husband and um, well, even my older children when they were younger, mm-hmm. um, we would sit down and watch a show, and it would be saying kind of, um, somebody being molested or something like that, and we yeah. would watch it, and I'm talking like. 2020 or you know one of the talk shows what was it yeah um, uh dateline dateline at AB, nbc or, yeah mm-hmm, yeah uh, catch a pre- catch a predator and uh, a lot of those shows yeah and then we would sit and talk about it and i let them know that this brother had done that you know had done things to me yeah i wanted to ask but knowledge you, uh, is power it is. 
that's why I, I guess you know I'm the documentation queen. Knowledge is power. Just research it. Now I remember doing a little bit of research for for somebody else's case as well. Uh, that was over there. You know, New Bethany. From what I what I remember researching, was also a gay conversion uh, camp as well. Basically, anybody that was considered gay, they would send right. their son 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 or daughter up there. M- mostly sons would send them up there. And it was barbaric, uh, subhuman, inhumane treatment that they gave those boys over there. I mean, from what I from what I uh, what I researched, they had those boys locked up in cages. Yeah. I mean, handcuffed with chains where they where, where they couldn't even sleep on the ground. They were just in suspended in the air with their arms and up. And I mean, gang be, sodomized. Yes, con- constantly by the head preacher uh, that was over there. I don't know if that was Mac Ford or not. Yeah, but, that was Mac Ford. Was okay, there. so Mac Ford, yeah, so Mac, Mac Ford, Ford was, was part of it. Bethany. Yeah, so Mac Ford was doing a lot of that. And what happened was, I think in 82 or 83, they ended up closing the doors to that place because they, I think they found child pornography uh, from Mac Ford over there. I mean, they, they, they found a lot but of they stuff out. It. Yeah. And they, but I mean, yeah, and they, then the, when, when did they reopen the place? Do you know? Um, I do have documentation that shows that, but I don't know it off yeah, the top that's of fine. my head. But I that's do fine. know that there was an FBI investigation from when yeah. Dottie and I ran and escaped. And that's probably what started that invest. That's probably what led to the to the closing of that place as well. Yeah, uh, because now could, even because they had eyes on them now, and they got to they got to collect that the evidence and data and everything like that. And so well, many <laughs> abused children from over there. Well, you have to remember the division between church and state. Someone yeah. from the health and welfare department couldn't just go walk in, surprise inspection. Yeah. So they were able to reopen. <clears throat> but they were the ones, I think, that actually uh, closed the place down, too, in 82 well, or 83. Yeah. Mac Ford passed away. Yeah. Um, and... I, I'm thinking, I mean, that place was open in like 2000, even. Yeah. I'm so, reach out, out to your, other people. Out of your three decades, Dottie and I were the first people to escape. Yeah. And the, the groups, it, it was this one girl said to me, she said, Kina. Anytime someone came, a new kid came into that place, the discussion always went to how did those girls escape? How did they get away? And she said, so for three decades, people have been talking about the girl that ran away, escaped, and they knew one was by themselves and then there was two together. So and whatever happened to Dottie? Came, when you came on, and they said, when you came on and said it about you, you know, who you were, you escaped. Yeah. She said it triggered all the, all the groups. They were all just, you know, yeah. Now, Dottie, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I'm now, you know, I've asked Rosita for paperwork, and um, of course, she's she's very vague. And um, my husband 
um, he he did talk to her directly as I was going. This whole year has just been very, very heavy therapy and learning about traumas and things like that and, and triggers and, you know. Yeah. But when he spoke with her, she was very vague. She couldn't say how, she wasn't sure how old I was when I went there. She wasn't sure if she ever visited. She wasn't, you know, all yeah. of that. The way I know that I was there in 1977, December 1977, um, my aunt that raised me um, had pictures and it was yeah. a Christmas gathering, and I'm not in any of them. And then again, in August of 1977, there's a family gathering, and I'm not in those. And then January 1978, my brother, brother number two, it was his birthday, yeah. and I'm not in any of those pictures. So when I reached out to Rustin Methodist Children's Home, if they had any records, I mean, you know, it was like spitting in the wind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was roll the dice, what a, you know, and they had those records. And that's, that just, um, what, what was the, that, that was a giant confirmation of, yes, you were there then. Yeah. What, um, is it a possibility that maybe Dottie just isn't online, like on Facebook or anything like that? I mean, I hate to ask that question like that. I mean, well, yeah, because when you go into it, you know, mm -hmm. the group, you have to, one of the girls, you know, she's kind of, she took me under her wing in the beginning, you know, made sure no one yeah. was saying hateful things and stuff like that. But she mentioned, that, you know, there's a lot of girls that don't want to be contacted and don't yeah. want to be, you know, remembered to to remember it. Right. However, I was on uh, exposing Lester Roloff and I saw what was the date? I just saw it. I just read it this morning, um, but it was. It was um, like a little, a little story, like, mm -hmm. and it was signed Dottie. Oh wow! So I reached out this morning to say to ask, you know, I want to say it was something that that was posted in 2014. Yeah. And it's, you know, like a little, well, they're talking, um, it wasn't, all, it wasn't a TikTok, but they were talking about a few things at New Bethany. And then at the very bottom, the name is signed Dottie. Oh, wow. Well, wow, so, I hope it's the same one that escaped with you and y'all could reconnect and. I'm praying. I'm and heal, and, and heal yeah. some more and everything, you know. Yep. Yep. And when you were telling me about, when you brought up about, you know, the cages and how they did with homosexuality and all. Yeah. There's a, there's a, on that show, Haunted. Yeah. So it's season two 
episode, episode three, three cult is, of terror yeah yeah and that is uh james swift yeah that guy is just amazing phenomenal that he came out of that he's an amazing person yeah, his story did make me cry i just um it was very very brutal story and you know I, I felt so much it was just so overwhelming to see somebody actually go through something like that and not yeah. knowing i mean we, we've heard i mean i've always heard of these pray to gate you know it's called like pray the gay away camps and everything like that but i never knew they were they were to this extent of abusive and i mean it, I, I never knew like a lot of regular people don't know about the tti a lot of people don't know the actual horror and the abuse and the, the, the physical and sexual abuses that go on and the heinous crimes that are being done to children, even to this day is still being done. And luckily now there's a lot more of y'all that have come out and come forward and there are places getting shut down left and right. I mean, you got, you got, you know, like Miss Barbara, uh, Foreman, you know, she's just a freaking bulldog. Like you say, you know, and, a pit bull. She's uh, yeah, bull. She is. She is a freaking mama bear. I mean, I always tell people too, say, so, you know, just listen to Barb and everything talk. I, I like, she's the type of gal that I, I, I I'd want to have in a, uh, you know, in, in the bar with me and during, during a knife fight, you know, cause pretty sure she would, she'd hold her own and everything and help me out in the same, same instance. Oh yeah. Uh, she's just a tough gal, you know, and, um, she's the right one for this movement and she is definitely the one who is the record keeper the arc you know the archiver the oracle the one that remembers all the stories i mean she just has a wealth of information of all the of all the research and everything she's done and well, i my, mean I, my understanding is that barbara she's just now gotten into all of this but there's also yeah. a person that, um, I mean, there's a lot of advocates out there, but there's there are. one girl, too, when I read the thing about Dottie, it was yeah. on a post from this one girl, June Bennett. And this June okay. Bennett, I don't know how she digs up, but holy moly, you know, she's been working on, there's a, there's a lot that were sold, and we're kind yeah. of being directed to... Go into, uh, you know, fillouttheirancestry.com because then your DNA is there. Um, yeah. But there are, man, I think I heard the number 800. Yeah, there's, there's Just a lot of them. one place. Yeah, there is a, a, a lot of them. And uh, Barb, I mean, she, she, she knows the stories of, I mean, they had so she many people meet it. Yeah, I mean, they, they had people meeting at grocery store parking lots, selling babies Wiggly, for like a hundred. Yeah, selling babies for one hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, and then they, and 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 then they go and they get the uh, the certificates done up by their own people in there. I mean, it was a, it was a business. It was a very corrupt, immoral business, and that I mean, that's why so many people were paid off because they made so much money from all of this and. You know, I'm glad that people are speaking out and that they're able to identify it and hopefully we can save kids. And I, I just hope that any parent that has a problem with their child and before they even think of sending them off to any kind of place, they need to really do research. I mean, go look at every review. Go look at every one-star review. Don't read whatever brochure these, these people send you because half the time it was never true. 
90 percent of the time was never true uh the stuff that these kids did they did, a lot of them didn't get educations uh the only education they got was from the bible uh, i mean they were not prepared to go into this world right uh the beatings the rapes the abuse the the torture i mean that's i mean prisoners got better you know actually had more rights and better treat uh treated better than, than these kids were Right. I, I mean, because hell, at least a prisoner can 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 fight. You know, a convict will at least fight back to some degree. You know, or or enough of them will. I mean, these are kids that were not, you know, as strong as some of these men were at, that were doing these beatings. I mean, hell, you know, a couple of men going around beating a, a pregnant fourteen year old girl into the ground. You know, I mean, that ain't no man in my opinion for one thing. But it, it's so much horror that came out of this that I I, I just never knew. And a lot of people never knew. And I didn't know. I, I, you're the first one from Louisiana to, to come and, and talk to me about it. You know, because, you know, where I'm at down here, we never heard any of this. We, I we, never we, knew. I live yeah. here in Shreveport. You know, all this has just been coming out. Um, yeah. I'm thankful that um, I have a supportive husband and, yeah. you know, and friends. Because if you were to talk to me and... I don't know, let's see, probably 2019, I couldn't even put a sentence together. Yeah. But I had three, you know, reconnected with three friends that they just put their phone on speaker and they just let me ramble because um, that was trauma. And then yeah. the Lyme bacteria, all that gets stirred up, you know, in your brain. So it's been a, it's been a lonely journey. Um a lot of people that I considered, you know, friends, tight friends, family kind of, you know, thing that they, they stepped out, you know, they just stepped back and I had to just tell myself maybe it was just self-preservation, you know? Yeah. But, well, Miss Ke well, Kino, what are you, so what are you doing now with your life now that you've, you know, it's been all these years and everything like that. Is there anything that you're, you know, doing currently besides, I mean, of course, healing and everything like that, like, like we talked about, but is there any projects? Is there anything that you want to, you know, talk about any kind of things that you're doing that might, you know, that maybe my audience could help you out with anything well, like am, that? I am a speaker. Um, I've spoken to several bereavement groups. Um, I've, I have, um, I've buried children. Um, so being able to share my story, like with that, with the children, you know, the grief story, I find mm -hmm. there's, um, there's not many people like me that are also have made it, you know, to being grandparents and how losing children, how that affects you through every stage of development because you reprocess it through every stage. And, um, yeah. I find, you know, I, I enjoy, yeah, I guess I could say I, I enjoy being able to help people. Um, also through this new Bethany, I'm hoping to, you know, be, be able to speak more and let, People know, I mean, it's an amazing, being molested through every stage of development of your life 
and never losing your faith is a pretty big testimonial. Yeah. And that's, that's what I like to be able to give my testimonial. Don't have to go in quite so many gory, you know, detail, but just know that your journey is for a reason. Like when I lost my son, when my son Matthew died in 1985 in my arms, um, I would have never been able to help my family with the loss of our son Mitchell in 2005. So I look at these things as just part of the journey and I want to be able to help people get through their tough time. I mean, I with Mitchell, it was, it was a devastation, but at the same time, I was thankful that had, you know, for the, had I not experienced Matthew, I wouldn't have been able to say to my husband that, you grieve together and you grieve apart. If you don't yeah. allow each other to grieve together and to grieve apart, the marriages usually don't survive, which gotcha. things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do. Um, I am planning to be able to get out and do more speaking. Um and as I'm healing and, and things like that, you know, I'm still, I still have a hard time understanding that at New Bethany and a lot of these other homes, Mac Ford and shoot, I think the name Jerry Farwell even popped up in some of the documentation, but you know, they, they kept us drugged. We were drugged on, on lithium. And then I think, I want to say, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's bovine, and someone said it was something that they put in the Kool-Aid, which kind of, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it it kind of cracks me up because there's always that running joke of don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, with Jonestown and everything, yeah. Yeah, and then they, t- you know, and then none of the girls there, we never had periods for X amount of years. And there's wow. some girls that, you know, aren't able to conceive and, you know. But raising awareness is what I want to do. And okay. I, you know, want to be able to be a public speaker of this journey. And, and, you know, how, how it works because, you know, it wouldn't take much to be able to just be so angry at God that how dare you, thankfully, you know, I was raised with my grandparents and they, you know, I was taught if it's in God's will and, you know, there is a reason and, you know, I feel like I'm a walking testimonial on there was a reason I can connect every, all of the negative to all of the things that brought me joy. Yeah. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to invalidate any of that because I mean, that's, 
that was your journey. That was your experience. And people need to know that side as well. Just as much as I, as I share people's journeys who have a very negative outlook at the church, I'll, I mean, I share anybody's journey on my podcast. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to keep your faith. It's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to keep on to. And, and it's a harder thing to let go of too, for some people. I mean, like I've shared with you privately myself, it's my my faith set in limbo sometimes with these stories because it it makes me question. It makes me wonder, you know, I I get to, you know, I I now see the heinous side of Christianity and it, it, it frightens me. And it is frightening. And and there's so many of us that have left the faith in the church because of, unfortunately, the, the piss poor representation that, God has gotten on earth um, and nobody, the, the inability for people to change and the inability for people to actually have the compassion and empathy toward victims, toward people who are different than they are. I mean, it, it's, I've, I've grown so much in love and compassion for, for my fellow man outside of the church than I ever did in, inside of it. Correct. And, that is, and that's horrible. I mean, to me that, that that's heinous in its own right, because you know, we were taught that, you know, Jesus told us to have compassion and love for one another, for all people. Um, and I still struggle with that my own self because I don't have any love or compassion for pedophiles. I don't have any love or compassion for rapists. Um, I, I don't even have forgiveness for them. And that's my, you know, and if that's a sin, that's my sin I got to deal with, with my creator. Um, right. You know, and, and everything like that. But it doesn't stop me from loving other people. It doesn't stop me from... You know, I've, I've said this too in my TikToks. I've said this before to people and probably on my Facebook as well, just publicly. You know, I felt love in the eyes and I felt love in the embrace of heathens and pagans and gay people more than I ever had my own Christian brethren. Correct. And, and that's, and that's sad. That. Yeah, it's sad. It, because they, they know what it's like to be broken. They know what it's like to be hurt. They know what it's like to be in pain. They know what it's like to be hurt by people that love you or, or that were supposed to love you. And there's camaraderie in that. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there, there, there's, you get to see, you get to learn and, and, and really feel compassion, empathy from how somebody that you're told not to like how they treat you. And right. I, I learned it in so many different stages and phases of my life that, you know, like, like I told you privately, you know, the, the seeds of free thinking and compassion were planted in me a long time ago. And this is the fruit of that. And to have the understanding for, you know, and and to ask why, why does somebody not believe in God? Why does somebody walk away from the church? And because those questions drove me, uh, drove me mad, drove me crazy. I got to learn why. And then my heart got broken because of the why, but in that breaking process, you know, putting it back together, you know, with love, with actual kindness, it's changed me in ways that I can never go back to who I used to be. And it's a constant fluid journey and it does change and perspectives will change constantly. You know, I have people tell me, oh, you know, you're going to have a great ministry one day. Who's to say I'm going to be in ministry one day, you know, but then again, you never know. Um, Who's to say that I won't, you know, become a disciple of Odin, you know, and worship the, the pagan god Odin, right? Uh, it, it's all, uh, it's all in the air. And it's all on how we treat one another. It's all on how the representation is presented. And 
I just hope, and I know there's so many ex-Christians that they just want to see a change in the church. They want to see preachers and leaders actually make stands and, 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 and statements and say, you know what, look, uh, hurting children is wrong. You know, hurt, you know, sexualizing children is wrong. Uh, you know, molesting kids is wrong. And then, the, and then call out their own people for doing it, not just the left or, or, you know, not just Hollywood, not just politicians, not just, you know, school teachers and, and, and cops and things like that, but their own preachers, their, their own brethren as well. And when they really make those stands and those stands will cost them. I mean, this, a lot of people don't make these stands because it will cost them a price, whether it's money, whether it's standing, whether it's, you know, respect in their community, it will cost them something. Right. And, I just hope that they make that stand because good people will, are willing to follow and support somebody that makes a stand for what's right, not for what's easy. That's true. That is a very good statement. Very well yeah. said. It's true. You know, when I, when I have shared my story, um, I, I want people to also understand that their faith, their belief in God, their their belief system is just that. Their yeah. belief system. Um, that's a personal thing between you know, your that's your personal thing with yourself. Your belief yeah. system is your belief system. Um, I don't push that one is right or one is wrong because right. It's a personal decision. It's a personal belief system. And yes, some horrific things have come out of different organizations. But it's a personal choice. It's not for anyone to judge or say hateful things to. It's just not. And I think that when we learn to have more compassion, that people will be seeing, you know, hearing more of that. Yeah. And I, I just hope these stories will actually, you know, wake up somebody's heart and realize that there's real pain in this world and that it's not just in whatever side that they listen to is happening. It happens all around us. It happens at our schools, at our churches, at our you know, at our town halls and our politicians' lives and our, and our you know, in, with our cops, with, with our doctors. I mean, it just, you know, with our, with our, de- with our justice system, it happens all over. And right. I hope they're, they're able to stand up and really say, hey, you know, this is wrong. This needs to change or we're going to make you change. And that's all I really want to do is light up, just spark the flame to that revolution, you know, and. I'm so thankful that you came on here today and that you shared your story with me. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you found me because I never would have thought to find you. You know, I, you, you, to me, you, you know, you came out of left field on me one day and I was just like, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, and let me listen and, and everything like that. And it, I was really glad that somebody from Louisiana that, you know, that, that went through this and everything was able to come contact me as well, because I was feeling kind of like, I, I where are the people from Louisiana at? You know, because I hear people right, from Texas. Really going on in the deep south. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, you know, you, you hear about Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia. 
Tennessee and Kentucky and West Virginia and Virginia, but I haven't heard any, you know, you and James are the only two people I know about from Louisiana. And uh, you're the only one that's, you know, been willing to come forward. So I want to share my story. And so, I mean, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you came to somebody's podcast who is from Louisiana and that wanted to, you know, share that aspect and everything. Because I think, because a lot of people, they, they just have this feeling that it just happens elsewhere, not here, not, yes. not in our home state. And no, it does happen in our home state. It happens all over the country. And so, like I said, Ms. Kina, I'm so grateful that you came on here and that you, that you were, uh, that you allowed me to hear your story, that you reached out to me and that you're sharing my, that you're sharing your story with all my, all of my audience on my podcast as well. And I just hope that it's, you know, this is another, uh, another step in your healing journey. Definitely. You get your definitely. Story. I'm thankful yeah. that you were able to take the time and allow me to share my story. Of course. Sure. I mean, whatever I can do to help, you know, like I told you privately too, I said, you know, I don't know what's the right direction to take, but I'm, you know, but doing something's better than doing nothing. And so I'm trying to do something. It's true. And, and, and I, I'm glad that I'm, that I'm able to give you some kind of comfort, some kind of healing, and to be able to help you in this world. Just to have the platform is such a healing for me. To be able to let people know there are others out there. And it's going yeah. on today. And I'm here for, for support, if anything. Yeah. For sure. Well, Ms. Kina, I want to tell you that I love you. And that I'm thankful for you. And that we're going to stay in contact with each other even after this interview and this episode, because you're more than just an episode to me. You're more than just an interview to me, you know, and I, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch with each other. And I tell that to every one of my interviewees that I talk to. So Dan, you're, don't, you're not, very amazing. Very amazing. Well, I thank you. I appreciate that. it. I love you too. And you know, um, I know that with all these stories that you're hearing and you're processing and don't forget to have some comfort care is what I call it. Just unplug for the day. Just I do beyond comfort care because this is a heavy, heavy you're you're listening to a pretty heavy story that, you know, like I said, I've, I've a lot of friends have just turned and walked away. I mean, self-preservation. Yeah. So, well. I, I definitely, I definitely take my mental health days. I, uh, I definitely step away when I need to. Um, and the bad part about doing that sometimes is work that, you know, the, the, the work that I'm doing with this podcast, it does stack up, it does backlog, but it's fine. It will be there when, you know, when I come back when, to it. Yeah. When you're and, ready. And exactly. So, but I do take my mental health days and I, I do try to relax and enjoy some things in life. And so, actually, when I get when I hop off of here, I'm about to go uh, say hey to my wife and uh, yeah, it's been the and go day. see her. So, well, look, I love you. You be safe. You take care, and protect all children if they're not your own. All righty, we'll touch base. We'll stay in touch, and I love we you. Will. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. So, that was my interview with Miss Kina. Wow. What a story. Um, I don't, I really don't know what else to, how to feel about all that, except that the uh, TTI, the troubled teen industry, 
has some very heinous, sick individuals inside of it. And a lot of broken, traumatized children end up going there and are in the most vulnerable state they can ever be in. And they end up becoming even more broken in this world. I'm glad to know, though, that she found peace through her faith and that she continued to persevere and press on. Because like you know in some of these stories, it's not always the case. And in fact, a lot of these faith-based places I find stories from, people do turn away from, from their faith, especially Christianity. And doing this work, doing this podcast, I've, I've actually gotten to see the, the heinous underside of it, of the faith I grew up in. So I do say it is refreshing to see somebody who basically was able to work through their trauma and to be able to to find some type of healing through forgiveness. That's not always the case. And I don't want to dismiss or invalidate anybody else's feelings at all. I don't want anybody to feel like they need to be pressured to forgive their abusers. That's up to the person who's been abused. And so I just want to say thank you to Ms. Kina for reaching out to me out of nowhere and just saying, Hey, I got a story. I heard about you. And she's just a wonderful lady. I speak to her on the phone privately a couple of times already before this interview. And just, she has a wonderful soul about her. She has a loving heart. And I hope that she's able to, to recover from the things she's going through, that she's able to become an advocate and press on and help other individuals in this world. And I hope that this story helped y'all understand that the troubled teen industry is not the best place for your child to go to. There are some good places. And, but for the majority of them though, they're not, and they need to be, they need to have some type of oversight. It's to the point to where, you, you got to have somebody watching these people so that these kids are not mistreated the way that they were. And I, I even though I know this story happened in the, in the late seventies and eighties, there's stories all the way up to the day that are going on and happening. And with the rise of the survivors who are stepping up and speaking out, more eyes are going on these places and there's more scrutiny. There's more pressure now and things are changing Places are getting shut down. People are going to jail and going to prison. Some people have went to prison and have gotten let out because of their political connections they have. And we can't let that slide either. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or anything else in between. Anybody using their political influence to get out of the punishment for hurting these children, well... I say flat out they don't deserve to breathe then because there's consequences to the choices that you make in this world. And when you have the malicious intent to harm a child, because this is what this is, it was malicious intent, I feel like you don't deserve to breathe the air that, that people who don't harm children breathe. And I just hope that you guys opened your eyes up to this there's more stories. There's more survivors that I know. There's more survivors that want to come on this podcast. 
you know, scheduling issues are the biggest thing right now because I don't do this full time. But we're working things out. And you know, right now, at the time it's recording, it's the holiday season. People are busy. Things happen. And so I hope that you guys and gals and everybody in between will get to look at this, look into the TTI. Maybe you might know a TTI survivor. Reach out to them yourselves. Talk to them. Believe them. Because everybody, everybody wants to say that they're lying. I find it hard to believe, though, that there are thousands upon thousands of these individuals that are that were in different places and in different institutions all over the country. They somehow got together and conspired and said, yeah, we're going to lie on these people. No. These were not just some badass kids. These were kids that were hurt and traumatized. And they were discarded and left to rot in these places by our society. Because we were blind and oblivious and we believed the people that were running these places were good intentioned and good hearted people. And they weren't. A lot of these places are ran by preachers and pastors. And that's the scary part. That's the, that's, the, that's the part that chips away at your foundation that you grew up on believing in, right? Because we believed in, in society that churches, schools, hospitals... You know, our politicians, all these people in power. We grew up as children believing that these people were for our good. And when it all came down to the end of the day, it was all about greed. It's all about money. When you look at the root cause of why they do what they do and, 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 and why they have done what they've done to these kids, it's all about saving money and maximizing their profits. And I got more stories to tell. I got more interviews to do. So stay tuned for these TTI stories. Hopefully this will end up on Apple and Google Podcasts as well. One of my interviews I did last week with uh, Maria about Father Moyer that popped up. It showed up in the Google and Apple Podcast. So maybe the distribution rules are changing. I'm hoping it is. If it isn't, tell your friends to get Spotify. Tell them to check out these interviews. While my solo episodes might sh will definitely show up in Apple and Google, uh, my interviews, for the most part, have not. So, please, if just share the word. Tell your friends, tell your family, put it on Facebook, share it. Just whatever social media you got, just, just pass it around. Let people know about it. There's multiple ways to reach me. I'm not hard to find. Not hard to get a hold of. And that's about it, y'all. If you haven't left a, a rating for the the podcast on Spotify, please do. It does help out. It helps with the algorithm. It helps, you know, push it out there even further. I hate to beg for that, but please do because it will help the cause. There's other causes I'm fighting for as well. And it's not just giving survivors a platform. It's also helping free men and women who have been locked up in prison for protecting children. You know, there's, I mean, there's James Fairbanks, the three interviews I did on, on this podcast already about how much of a monster Matteo Condolucci was and James's intentions and what he was trying to do to protect any future victims from Matteo Condolucci. There's Jason Bokovich, a.k.a. the Alaskan Avenger, 
I support his cause to get him freed. I've been emailing him a couple times, and his sister has a TikTok called, I think it's called Free Jason Vokovich. She's on there, and she has how-to videos on how to give Jason, you know, how to how to email Jason, how to put uh, money on his books or to help out with his GoFundMe. He needs to be freed as well. There's Shantiri Weems. I mean, she was a daycare owner. I've talked about her story, and I'll be talking about the part two that I've found out new information on uh, very shortly in the next couple of weeks. You'll hear you'll hear that second episode, the part two about it. I mean, you also got Christopher Bennett, who was trying to protect his stepsister from being raped. And they gave him 1,800 years in prison. There are so many more of these stories like this, y'all, that it's just, it's unf- just unfathomable. I mean, this is, there's something wrong with locking up somebody who is trying to protect children. And I think context should be given into these cases. Some of these some of these cases that were done, it was because these DAs and these judges wanted to prove a point and wanted to make an example out of somebody instead of seeing the human aspect of it. And a lot of us would not mind a judge suspending a sentence on, on these individuals, would not mind these individuals being pardoned. Because of the circumstances they were in. And the good that they can do. Being released into the free world. And there's so many other stories. Oh my god y'all. There are. Thankfully I'm seeing a lot of news articles. And news stories of pedophiles being busted left. And fucking right. And man does it feel good. To see that going on. And to see them getting very heavy prison sentences. While there's a lot of reasons why they don't get the death penalty, and usually it's about money, at least they're getting decades in prison instead of one-year charge, one-year sentences and two-year sentences and suspended sentences and probation and all the other bullshit we've seen because now people are waking up. Good people like you are actually seeing, you know, looking behind the curtain and seeing what's really going on and saying, hey, no, 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 this is fucked up. This is bullshit. Y'all not gonna y'all not gonna let these people get away with this. People are rising up, y'all. I'm seeing it now. It's 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 very quickly. It's going on. And I hope it continues to go into that trend so that we can protect these babies, so that we can speak up and speak out and speak against what's being done to them. There's so many stories I gotta tell. And it's I have a backlog of them. I do. And they might not be within the trending news times that they're going in because I don't I don't try to go follow news trends. I don't I don't try to go do what's trending. I take a story, I try to find out what I can, I have an interview, do what I can with that. It might come a little later. I know some of y'all you know message me and be like, What the fuck? You ain't saying nothing about this? It's not because I don't care. It's because I'm working on a backlog of stories and I do care. I, I extremely care about these situations. I try to to stay active on TikTok, trending with that. When it comes to this podcast, no. I take my time and I tell these stories. And I do these interviews. And I give these victims and survivors a, a platform and a safe place for them to 
share their stories with us. That's all I ask for your listening ear. It costs you nothing to listen to this podcast. Just to download an app, probably more than likely, and uh, find it. That's it. And I try to make that as easy as possible, too. You go to my TikTok, there's a link to this to this podcast. So even if you don't think somebody might not listen, they might listen to these stories. I didn't I didn't ever think to listen to a podcast until I started hearing about uh, crimes that happened from a detective's point of view. Woody Overton, real life, real crime. Somebody was sharing about it. It happened locally. So, you know, it was a guy out of, out of Livingston Parish, Louisiana. And these were stories that some of them I knew about, some of them I didn't. And I got to hear it from a cop's point of view in his eyes and what he had to go through and what he felt during all that. You never know who's going to be interested in a podcast. So just share it. I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse to death with that, but please share it, y'all. It does help. It does support. That's all I'm asking. I want to grow this platform so that we can do some real positive changes. Because it is about the victims, y'all. It's about these survivors. It's about helping them. And there are good men and women out there that want to help. So keep spreading the word. Keep helping send people my way. I'll gladly sit and listen and talk to them. And even if they don't want to share their story publicly, I'll still talk to them. Nobody has to pay to come on here. Nobody has to uh, pay a fee or anything like that. You come on here, you share your story. We tell it to the world. That's what it's about. And if it helps you heal, then I'm glad I'm doing this. If I can help one person, this is all be this is all worth it to me. It's a heavy price I pay, and I'm not going to share it right now what that price is. But it's a heavy price. And I'm not backing down from this. I love y'all. I hope that y'all are safe. I hope that any of you survivors are healing out there. Reach out to people. They do care. They do love you. And they will believe you. Don't listen to the negativity of people online. You want to listen to, if you want somebody to listen to you, come to me. I'll listen. Because I care and I love you. Y'all be safe. Protect all children if they're not your own. Peace. Bye.